0: Welcome to the Hockey cast. My name is Dmitri Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy for the first time this season. I think it's uh, it's Mike Johnson. Mike, what's going on, man?
1: I told you this last time. You were getting to be too famous. Too many people on this podcast. I can't get on anymore.
0: That's not true. So uh,
1: I'm. I'm. I, you had to wait the whole year long. So I'm appreciating you. Uh... Uh, finally squeezing me in i'm so saving... waiting patiently for you
0: i'm saving you for prime time this is uh this is as good as it gets <laughs> i feel like this is my favorite part like right before round one and then the start of round one when we have four or five i think on wednesday night for the first night of the playoffs we have five games that night and they have actually spread them out nicely so they're not all starting at the same time and there's a little bit of a gap there and it's going to be the perfect night of hockey and the perfect next couple of weeks and months and so this is the best part. So. uh I'm gonna I'm gonna position it that way. It's not that uh, that you got lost in the shuffle. It's that I was waiting for this specific moment to happen. Wow,
1: oh, that's a good save by you. And you're right. You know what? Not only is it the best time of year in general, the playoffs, but it feels like the first round specifically in the NHL is like the best two weeks of hockey in the calendar, where so much is happening every night and the storylines are there, and it just it uh, it it almost. It starts with a bang in the NHL playoffs with with the first round with, with the the eight series going on. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, and I guess that would be the argument or the pro argument for um, for this current system they have, where sometimes I guess fans and myself included get a bit irritated about the fact that we see these great matchups early on and maybe earlier than they should. It feels like you know these great teams should have a chance to advance into the postseason further into the postseason based on their successful regular seasons but i guess the argument for having these matchups early on is that you really do kind of get the uh the A game of most of these teams while they're still healthy and before some of the the grind and, and the physical tolls of the postseason have taken control of their bodies and uh and really worn down some of the players and caused injuries
1: i think i might be the only guy who's not totally offended by the new by the playoff system i i, I don't know if it's like me head in the sand or what but i, I I always look at it well, first of all, the Eastern Conference, which everyone talks about how unfair it is that Toronto has to play Boston. If Carolina had won and Toronto had lost like the last game of the regular season, it almost would have gone one eight, two seven, three, six, four, five. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's that out of sequence and maybe Toronto's playing one or two spots above a team that had maybe one point less than them in Carolina. I, and I don't know, I'm just not quite as bothered by it. And if Toronto wants to get to the Eastern Conference final they're going to have to play Boston. They're going to have to play Tampa to get to the Stanley Cup final anyways, whether they play them round one, two, or two, three. I, I guess I'm not quite as bothered by it because you're likely to have to play those same teams eventually anyways. Um, now, it's not my money I'm losing by, by mm-hmm. getting knocked out in the first round or my confidence or my experience or my perception of what a good year is or isn't. But logistically, for Toronto to get to the final, they'd have to play whatever. No, Pittsburgh, Boston, Tampa in that order if they went according to points. However, it would have shaken down. Right. So it's it's not like it's that badly out of sequence.
0: Yeah, and then from an entertainment perspective this makes a lot of sense. Alright, so what you and I are gonna to do today is I'm going to set a timer and we're going to do 10 minutes for each of the Eastern Conference round, um, first round playoff matchups. And we're going to get into it. Hopefully, uh, we're going to, we're going to treat the buzzer like it's very official. So as soon as the 10 minutes go off, we're going to switch okay, gears. That's it. Uh, we're going to be in and out of here and it's going to be very efficient. So I'm looking forward to it. So with that said, right. let's start the clock and we're going to do, uh, the Capitals versus the Hurricanes first. We're going to start out in the metro before we move on to Atlantic. Um, it's another, uh, another ho hum season in Washington. You know, they started out slow and then you look up at the end of the day points metro division title alex ovechkin scores 50 goals wins the rocket richard for the eighth time and you know you could have just it's pretty much money in the bank at this point with that but i don't know like watching this team as the year goes along i don't know if you felt the same way but i don't know if it was the stanley cup hangover or if they were just kind of pacing themselves or maybe you know the guys just weren't fully healthy or what, what have you but it felt like at the start of the year there was this kind of like malaise and they weren't playing their best hockey and then you add a guy like Carl Hagelin, and we'll talk more about him in a second here, but since the trade deadline, um, they've really been playing some of their best hockey, and it looks like, I don't know if it's necessarily a, like a momentum thing, but they're definitely heading into the postseason on the right note and playing really well, and I feel a lot more confident about them now than I would have a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago for sure, but at the same time, this Hurricanes team is kind of this trendy sleeper team that really captivated mm-hmm. everyone's attention this year. Uh, how are you feeling about this series, and what do you think some of the X-Factors are going to be?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I think I was actually pleasantly impressed by how well Washington started the season. Like, maybe not to the same level they finish it, of course, but...
0: Well, after the summer, they had, Given what sure. we
1: saw the summer, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, if they sleptwalk through October, November, I would have been so okay with it. Um, and then turned it on eventually... Uh, I think having a new coach was probably helpful in Todd Reardon, but also very challenging for him to kind of come in knowing that there were going to be some of these dips or maybe lack of focus at moments throughout the year and not really being able to crack the whip as a new coach would be inclined to because they had so much success last year. So I think navigating that whole new coach assistant to to head coach transition, which is not easy for guys to do. And then also making sure to, to have everyone feel like they're not getting ground down early in the year it was important. I think Tom Wilson's suspension, I and mean, say what you want about Tom Wilson and the fact that he has been suspended so many times, which is terrible. When he plays, he's a he's a good player for them. He he works well with that group and, and he and he fits a nice role for the Capitals. So, you know, he missed the first whatever it was, fifteen, sixteen games of the season. That factored in. And I think we remember correctly. Last year, they weren't great defensively either, Washington, were they? No. they didn't play well defensively until the end of the year. It's Mm -hmm. like they flipped the switch on and said, okay, you know what? Now for us to win, we got to pay attention to our own end. And I think that really starts with their very best players, with Kuznetsov, with Oshie, with Ovechkin. And Nicky Bakson's always pretty solid in that regard. But, you know, those kind of guys who may drift in and out of the absolute defensive focus because they are so talented offensively, and it feels like maybe it was the trade deadline this year. They kind of bought in a little bit more or dug in a little bit more and just kind of paid a, t- a little bit more attention to what was going on. And and so it was just another fantastic year for Washington. You know, division well, title, home ice for two rounds and, and probably a favorite to – to get pretty deep once
0: again. Well, it seems silly to say that uh, a team of their caliber and of their stature and and the reigning uh, defending Stanley Cup champions are going to sneak up on people, but it does feel like maybe, especially for the analytical community, they might have thrown people off the scent a little bit this season because if you just Mm -hmm. sort of look at their overall numbers for the year especially in terms of 5-on-5 like shot share and stuff like that, it's not necessarily the most imp- impressive resume. And Carolina, on the other hand, is, is a statistical darling. And so you look at that and go, hmm, could this be a potential uh, sneaky upset pick? And I get that argument. I want to talk more about Carolina's perspective here. But if you do look at sort of the final twenty twenty-five games, especially since the trade deadline, which we know yeah. correlates pretty well as an indicator of future postseason success, the, the, the Capitals are right up there. Like The gap in terms of shot share between these two teams is not not very big. They're both pretty elite. I mean, the Capitals are up over 54% since getting Carl Hagelin. And I don't know... the Haglund thing is so fascinating to me because I've given this a lot of thought and it's, you know, he's a perfectly fine player in and of himself, but you'd think, okay, adding a guy like Carl Haglin wouldn't necessarily make this big of a difference. But I do think there is this little bit of a sort of snowball effect that we don't talk about sometimes in terms of lineup construction, where just having that sort of missing piece that slots into the third line and all of a sudden that line is a massive net positive. And then, you know, yeah. you're, set, you're setting up. Your top two scoring lines to get more offensive zone starts because the puck's in the zone already and the opposition's tired and maybe they're just having Mm -hmm. to dump it out and change quickly instead of actually forcing you in your own zone and so there is this kind of trickle down snowball effect there where having no real weak links in your lineup makes everyone that much better and I do think that's kind of what we've seen here with the Capitals
1: Uh, There's probably a reason why Carl Hagelin always ends up kicking around good teams right? I mean he, he just he he's a guy who fits in nicely as long as you don't expect him to score and you can kind of live with his generally pedestrian shooting percentage on ice shooting percentage for his group like he doesn't he doesn't contribute maybe as many goals as you would like but given all the other stuff that he does well as you mentioned um, you know that that, that can you say trickle down it's a more trickle up effect where mm. you know you get a third line that's looking Um, like it's well positioned to to be effective, even if they're not necessarily scoring. And then it allows the other two lines to to get it done because you look at these two teams and you know, where are some of the biggest differences in them? And you mentioned, you know, the shot shares and stuff in Carolina always like they have been for a while now, or right at the top of the league all year long, but Washington's gotten there lately, but Washington's shooting percentage is always amongst the better teams in the league. Because they got – I'm assuming because they have better – got better shooters. Right. And they got guys who can – they got just guys who can finish, I would imagine, um, you know, plus, you know, the offensive systems they run and the, the way they – the shots that they end up taking. But, you know, when you're talking, um, you know, 10% down to whatever Carolinas would be, 7 you know, that's like 40% better. Yep. Well, I like, that, that – people don't understand. they're like, like, oh, well, what, what's 2%? So different you know twenty five percent more of your shots are going in. That's a massive difference in skill or systems or execution that is hard to make up. And when teams like Washington can do it over the course of eighty two games, it's it's a challenge. So that, that will be the biggest thing to me is you know, Washington just has more high end finishers. And I know Carolina has great defense and Dougie Hamilton proving once again he's a stud defender, pesky and all these guys that nobody knows about will be like oh my goodness these guys are actually quite good hmm. um just, just the high-end guys in washington being able to finish on those goaltenders a little bit better than carolina's guys will be able to finish on brayden Holtby.
0: yeah and obviously i mean Ovechkin gets a lot of the attention deservedly so with his 50 goal 51 goals but uh the capitals have six guys between 21 and 25 goals as well so it's certainly uh a multifaceted attack. Let's let's talk quickly about Carolina here, just so it's not fully um, ten minutes on the Washington yeah. Capitals. If you're Rob Bryndenmore and you're running the Carolina Hurricanes, how are you approaching the series from a sort of tactical perspective in terms of utilizing your top line? Because we've seen that, especially as the year has gone along. Um, in close games, in meaningful games, he's shown no reluctance to play Sebastian Aho in the in the mid 20s as an elite forward, and I imagine he's going to ride that line pretty heavily and de- heavily and deservedly so, considering they're going to be their primary source of offense. And if they're not you know, firing on all cylinders and dominating, this team's going to have a tough time scoring enough with the Capitals. Um, How do you approach that from a tactical perspective of sort of, do you just go power versus power and you just play them against one of the top two Capitals lines and just see what happens and play everything out after that? Or are you trying to sort of uh, sneakily, you know, buy them some easy minutes against maybe Lars Eller's lines or maybe even the fourth line or or sort of how are you approaching that and sort of, I guess it's going to be very telling to see like how much they do trust their secondary scoring based on how they use that top line.
1: Well, I I guess if you're going to be willing to play them 24, 25 minutes, then you're probably going to get some combination of all those things. If I'm Rod Brindamore, I recognize K. Ajo is, that line is by far our best. We can get in the need to write a rash trade (laughs) later, but oh my goodness, what a, the robbery of the year mm-hmm. uh, for Carolina. The trade was one Aho, for one. It, well, it's more like felt like two and a half to half. <laughs> I mean, in favor to Carolina. We look at the results. Uh, poor Victor, tough year for him. But um, you know, so I think you have to feel comfortable to to let Aho play against anyone. And in many ways, we've seen Kuznetsov specifically. Like when he's engaged, he's 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 one of the very best for sure but he can also be a guy that you can take advantage of defensively. So while yes, there's a danger in playing against one of the top two lines because those guys are good offensively as well. uh, I remember as a player when I was an offensive guy, I didn't mind necessarily playing against other teams, high-end players because, well, you have to be very careful because they'll burn you. You can also get something on them because, you know, they're thinking offense more than necessarily shutting you down. So if I'm Brendan Moore with Ajo, You know, I'll take advantage of any offensive zone starts I can get. Uh, I'll play within the course of action. I'll also double them up on occasion and flip them out there out of sequence. And if that means going up against Backstrom, that means going up against Kuznetsov or whoever it might be, um, I'm going to be okay with that because I think my guy can play 24 or 25 minutes uh, at a high enough level that he won't be bothered by that. And he's also just more important. He has to be good. Whereas in Washington, they have other options. If Kuznetsov's not doing it, then Backstrom can do it. I don't know if you can say that. If Aho's not doing it, then Stahl will get it done to the same degree. So um, I mix and match. I don't hide them. And I don't fear Aho going up against the top two lines in Washington um, really at all. Because if he can't do it, if he can't handle that matchup, we're sunk anyway. So I'm going to let him try it. And I think he's, he's capable enough to to be effective in that role
0: yeah yeah they've shown that they can uh, handle themselves quite well and i imagine they are going to get a heavy dose of uh, of that baxter moshi pairing felt like uh, the capitals are really relying yeah. on those guys last year especially down the stretch um all right the 10 minute buzzer went off before we move off of the series who do Up you uh, what's your what's your pick
1: uh i think washington's gonna get it done i know carolina's a sexy pick and i can understand why just better shooters i still mrazik mcelaney i don't know washington in six maybe
0: yeah yeah, I think so as well. I think it's going to be a really competitive series. I I, I think there's going to be a couple of like long overtime like games more there. Overtime games, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be definitely one of the most like aesthetically pleasing series to watch. All right, Islanders Penguins. Um That was a good transition. Speaking of aesthetically pleasing, the the New York Islanders offense. Um here's a big question I have. <laughs> Can the Islanders score enough to keep up with the Penguins in this series and if so, where does it come from?
1: Um I think they can score enough because they don't have to score a lot. Right. That makes sense how I just said that. You know what I mean? Like they just don't need to generate that much because they, they give up um, not as much and they're able to kind of defend their way um, into games and their goaltending, which has been good this long. You have to trust that it would be good the rest of the way Um, should be, should be enough to keep these games competitive. Where's it going to come from? whatever strength scoring by committee
0: Mm. I guess
1: it's what it's going to have to be it's going to be you know Matthew Barzell who's had I think a lot of people said this about him prior to the year he's going to have maybe a better year but a different kind of year like fewer points but maybe playing for Barry Trotz will help him become a better player Mm. and you know that, that maybe some of that has played itself out where he's not been as dynamic offensively but um, you know, he's probably become a bit um, – not probably. He's definitely become a better defensive player in his awareness in that regard. So, um, you know, he's still he, – he, I think he's going to have to be a star in this series for sure. Matthew Barzell and and just different guys chipping in. Uh, they're going to have to get goals from all four lines. We talk about top two, top three, top four. I mean, I think Zizekas is going to have to score a couple. And Phil Pella is going to have to chip in some. And Jordan Eberle and Ladd. Not Ladd, he's out. But Lee and uh, Nelson and Bailey, you know that mm-hmm. no one group is gonna guide like yeah, that. Guy's gonna have a massive series, but if all those guys can kind of chip in in like a fifteen, you know, one or two in a, in a six or seven game series, that would be enough, I think, if they're able to to defend the way they have all
0: year yeah it's tough to evaluate Matt Barzell. I know people might be a little disappointed based on the um you know he had so many points last year and then this year I think people were expecting it you know with Tavares gone he'd get even more ice time and more responsibility and that would even escalate even further I think and it's been a, a bit of an uneven season but it's also tough to evaluate him just because it feels like the finishing talent around him isn't there right now so like a lot of the yeah, stuff right? he creates is just ultimately and he's
1: such a passer right yeah like, he's not necessarily a finisher by nature I mean he... He got a twenty something goals last year, but his, his first inclination is to pass and to facilitate. And, and if you don't have those kind of guys around him, and also life gets different when you take a really good player beyond the impact of John Tavares, not on the ice with him or on the power play with him. If you're the guy that everyone circles for every game, like, hey, we got to watch this guy. Life is different, you know, the, the kind of attention being paid to him, um, the checking matchups and everything else for Matt Barzell would have been would have felt different, would have been different this year than last.
0: Yeah. I, um, no, I completely agree. And, um, listen, we're going to talk more about Tavares and his impact, uh, in one of these future series down the road here, in uh, yeah. this podcast. But yeah, this Islanders team obviously has been proving people wrong all year. And so that's why, like, when you, when you talk about them like this, you kind of got to keep that in mind. And you also got to sort of keep perspective in terms of what they've accomplished this year. And I do think it makes for a fascinating matchup just because they are so stylistically different than the, the Penguins. And obviously there's yeah. a talent disparity there, but we saw Barry Trotz. Uh, with his system really um, kind of tightened the clamps down last year in the in the postseason and obviously he had different uh horses to work with but we've seen them do it do it this year and obviously with the goaltending with Leonard and Grice and keeping both those guys fresh and not having to play either of them uh you know over 40 or so times this year I imagine they're going to come into this playoff series fresh and playing their a game and with that system that can sort of um, limit the events and maybe mock the game up a little bit, all of a sudden um, you could yeah. envision a scenario where... They really do irritate this Penguins team and you're all of a sudden you're looking up and it's 2-1 Islanders um, and the Penguins are just failing to generate anything and a lot of their stars don't have the high point totals you're expecting and, you're, and people are asking the questions of what's going on? How are the Islanders pulling this mm. off? So I can certainly see that scenario, but the firepower for the Penguins here just does seem like eventually uh, in a seven-game series where they're going to be able to see the same team over and over again and maybe pick on some of these uh, areas of weakness for the Islanders, it does seem like eventually it's going to have to break through.
1: I would agree, and especially if they start playing on the power play at all, because we know how good Pittsburgh can be in that regard. And it seems like, and maybe we say this every time, and it's probably not even fair to Sidney Crosby. I thought Crosby had a, a you know, a spectacular year this year um, on a lot of different levels. Um, you know, his numbers, traditional and, and and otherwise, were were really good. Jake Gensel with his forty, but it seems like the fortunes of Pittsburgh will kind of be more determined not by Crosby who's their best player because you know what he's going to bring but almost by Malkin and you know Malkin has had a you know interesting kind of season where he's had his ups and downs individually as well and if he gears it up and is healthy and that's when Pittsburgh becomes too much for other teams to deal with because you just can't you just can't, can't match up when both those guys are going um, they're just're they're just too good. And whether it's within the confines of a system or just them um, doing stuff individually because they're that great, it, it's, that, that's where I worry about the Islanders, because if they can frustrate Malcolm to the point where he gets away from the game takes penalties, mm. and the Islanders still they're, they're going to be hanging around because we've seen that happen with Danny Malcolm. But if he plays hard and with, you know with the kind of patience in the confines of, of what Mike Sullivan wants them to do. Then I think, it's, it's, even though the Islanders had a fantastic year, you know, better than I think anyone would have anticipated, it's going to be a tough series for them.
0: Yeah, it's it's so tricky because obviously, like when you evaluate a player like Evgeny Malkin, you're comparing it. To his, his, I
1: mean, his, his to himself.
0: peak, right? You're not comparing it to a regular yeah. mere mortal. So, no. so let's keep that no. in mind when we talk about criticism. But I think, yeah, interesting is a one way to to put his season. Like It was definitely based on his lofty standards. Uh, there were a lot more peaks and valleys that I think we're used to, and he is a bit of a hit or miss player. But um, for the Penguins, maybe not so much in this series, but definitely moving forward in a series against the Capitals, potentially in round two, or even if they get past that, they're going to need peak Gino especially they're going to need him and Kessel sort of flying out there and causing yeah. havoc because you do know what you're going to get from Crosby and Gensel and so that kind of leads to them being the X factors because it feels like this Penguins team is going to go based on how they go and Crosby's greatness I mean I feel like you know Speaking of evaluating guys to their own standards, maybe unfairly, like, I guess we just kind of expect this from at this point, but I've talked about it in this podcast all year where I, I think I'd have him probably second or third on my heart list and, and maybe even the, the Selkie final, Selkie winner this year, just based on how dominant he's been. I mean, the Penguins are outscoring teams 82 43 at 5 on 5 with him on the ice this year, which is just, um, unheard of for a player who plays them the types of minutes that he does. So you know what you're going to get from Crosby and Gensel. I'm really, great, but let's sum
1: it up though. Like 82-43, they're plus 39, yeah, plus 40 and five on five this year. I mean, some of that's like so We don't have a great partnership there, Yep. But Gino is 44 up, 46 down, yeah. You know, so Crosby plus 39, the five on five differential. Malkin minus two. It's crazy uh, the difference in the amount of offense that's created. created. I'm with you. Um and, and I always get fascinated. You know, I don't know Sidney Crosby well. He's kind of a tricky guy to get, you know, kind of get run right. forward with. He's quite quiet, but how he continues to refine his game. Because at some point, you're like, why would you? You're you're, you're so good, um, just exactly the way you are. But whether it was back in the day, uh, adding one timers or face-offs or scoring more around the net, or I think you know, in the last couple of years, becoming a more well rounded. 200 foot kind of player um it, it, he's he's getting better because he's adding different elements to his game and, and this year was was that's fine as he's played in, in a while so know yeah, he's he's and he's good enough with Gentle to, to kind of carry that team if they play basically even up without him Crosby alone can can be the difference in the series
0: well that's the thing they have McCann now Playing with them, and he's. I been, like McCann. He's been awesome. I think
1: McCann's been a good fit there.
0: No, he has. But honestly, like you could literally put could anyone. Pre- you could put U or I there, and we'd probably look pretty good. I mean, that's you how know, good Crosby is. Yeah, you're
1: fair enough. Fair enough. But I just, you know, we've seen guys struggle with Crosby. Guys who he, McCann, I like. He, he skates well enough, hmm. and you watch him early on, and it's always a telltale sign for me as a player. You throw me or you out there with Sid, even me when I was, you know, having decent years. My inclination when I play, would play with him would be like, I got to get this guy the puck. Yep. And I watched McCann early on in Pittsburgh with a two-on-one with Sid, not even give him like a token look off. <laughs> just head down, go down and shoot it. He didn't score. But I'm like, I look at that as a positive for a guy who's capable of fitting with Sidney Crosby, that he's got the kind of confidence within himself to ignore getting the puck to Crosby when I think so many guys would just force it in. On You have to have like the independence of thought to be able to play with Sidney Crosby, to do what you still think is right and not just defer to him all the time. I think McCann has that. Um, I know he's shooting disproportionately high right now his percentage, but yeah. I still like what he's brought to that team.
0: No, for sure, he definitely. Uh, you feel watching him that he, he he at least he feels like he belongs there, and he's played like he has. Yeah, um, that's exactly it. Let's uh, okay. Let's make a pick here. We're we're at the ten minute mark. Uh, it feels like we're both leading Penguins here. How many? How much of a series do you think the Islanders can can force here? And I'm looking forward to uh, the Islanders fans replaying this after the Islanders yeah. win five games.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they'll let you know mm-hmm. uh, if you're wrong. Um, I think this one's actually going to go pretty deep. Six or seven, I think Pittsburgh's going to take to grind it out. I I think it's going to be a physical, hard, intense, dirty, nasty, like pretty vicious series, but... uh I think Pittsburgh gets through it in the end. Probably six, I guess, because they could close out at home.
0: Yeah, I think it's actually going to go seven. I think Leonard's going to have like two yeah. shutouts. There's going to be two games where he has like forty plus saves, and then there's going to be a couple games definitely where all hell breaks loose and there's way more goals than we expect and a ton of fights. And I'm looking yeah. forward to it. It's going to be a heated series. Um,
1: I think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, in Nassau too, the the atmosphere will be oh, great yeah. for a couple
0: games. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break here, and then we're going to do the Atlantic uh, portion of things. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey cast is Sea Geek. If you're frustrated with the NHL and its lack of innovation and progression and you think it's stuck in its ways and sometimes overly conservative, well, the ticket industry is just that. It's something that hasn't changed in a long time because they feel like they don't need to. Um, You know, There's a couple big companies that have cornered the market and they don't really need to appeal to the customers and improve the user experience because of the supply and demand. And they know they're going to come to them anyways. But that has changed. The times have changed because Seeky is around. And SeatGeek knows that the customer comes first and they are all about making that experience easier for you as a consumer in trying to save you time, money and effort. And if you don't believe me, uh, go check out the exceeding 50,000 uh, five star reviews in the app store, all basically saying the same thing where they're ranting and raving about um, how useful SeatGeek is and how much time it saved them and how uh, much they've enjoyed their that experience with them. Uh, what SeatGeek does is they pull millions of tickets from all over the web into one place. They rate each deal on a scale of one to ten, and then they display them on an interactive seat map. So it's as simple as possible for you to find what you're looking for. Basically, you just look for the green dots; those are the good deals, and the red dots are the overpriced ones you want to stay stay away from. Plus, every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence, knowing that what you pay for is what you're gonna get. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I've constantly found that it's the easiest way to shop for tickets, whether it's um, you know tickets for a basketball game hockey game baseball so on and so forth concerts uh comedy shows whatever uh SeatGeek has it so whatever you're looking for uh make sure you go there first and foremost to check it out and I imagine uh this time of year it's going to become particularly handy with uh you know the postseason here and heating up and uh the game's becoming must watch and you really want to get in there uh to watch it live and sort of soak up the atmosphere because playoff hockey really is as good as it gets so definitely if you've Been hesitant to do so and go check out a game live. This is the time to do so. And uh, as a little sweetener, as a little throw in, in case you're still somewhat skeptical, as my listener, you're going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and then use the promo code PDO to let SeatGeek know that you're supporting our show. And, you know, SeatGeek supports us. Go support them because you're ultimately wanting to show your support for the PDO guest. so um, it's a it's a nice kind of loving uh, tree uh, there so just download the Seeky enter the promo code PDO and let them know we sent you and they're going to give you $10 off your first purchase that you can use for tickets to concerts sports comedy whatever you want that's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase now let's get back to the show okay 10 minutes on the clock lightning blue jackets if you were Tampa, um, obviously they are playing the Blue Jackets now, but theoretically on the last day of the season it came down still between uh Carolina and Columbus. Who would you have preferred to play in round one?
1: Oh my goodness. It's a good it feels like I'd rather play Carolina because they don't have the talent to score enough to scare me mm-hmm. versus Columbus, I think, has more high end players. Uh they have great offensive depth. They got a goalie who, when he's on and he has been the last little while, I think is unquestionably better than the two goaltenders that that Carolina has. So in that regard, Columbus becomes scarier to a team that's favored because they got a few of the equalizing, you know, the goaltender that can steal games, maybe more so than Mrazic or McElhaney. Uh, They got some individual guys in Panarin that can can make things happen kind of on their own. Um, so if I had to pick, maybe this is not. I probably would have picked Carolina if I'm Tampa over Columbus. I think Columbus can make this an uncomfortable series. I, I don't anticipate them being able to make many inroads into Tampa. Tampa's just, as we all have discussed, just just ridiculously too good. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. It feels like Carolina would have been a more comfortable matchup than than Columbus for Tampa.
0: I actually agree with that, and and I'm gonna give my reasons why. So. A couple of weeks ago, um, my editor at ESPN asked me to. He's like, "Okay, the Lightning look dominant. I want you to write a piece, kind of counterculture, explaining how they can be beaten. What a team needs. What boxes a team needs to check." And I was like, "Oh God! Like I don't know. Significant injuries to the to Lightning. Like that seems like the only way they're gonna lose here." But then I started thinking about it, and obviously, um, it's easier said than done. But I guess the formula, like in any playoff series, would be a hot goalie. And obviously, Bobrovsky has mm-hmm. been amazing down the stretch. I believe he's a 9.30 save percentage install the All-Star break. Uh, depth and depth scoring, as you mentioned. And obviously, some of these guys did so on their previous teams, uh, particularly the guys yeah. in the Senators. But they have six guys who are top 45-on-5 five five goal scorers this year. So that sort of speaks to the actual talent and ability beyond just Artemi Panarin on this Blue Jackets team. Limiting events, I think... You don't want to get into a track meet back and forth uh, meeting with this Lightning team because that's just going to open the door for their talent to shine. And I think a series against the Hurricanes with the pace they play at which is so fun to watch. I think would have been just deadly for them because they would have just exposed yeah. themselves to the lightning offense here. And the blue jackets actually played 29th in terms of five on five pace this year. So they limit, they do a good job of limiting events of kind of slowing it down a little bit and then staying out of the box because this lightning power play is historically great and no one took fewer penalties this year, both at five on five and overall than the blue jackets. So you look at all that yeah. and you go, that seems like a pretty good formula. Now the counterpoint, um, they lost 17 to three. And there are yeah. three meetings against them this year. And obviously, one of those was, I believe, in like the first week of the season. And we've seen time and time again that uh, regular season meetings don't necessarily mean anything for the postseason. But it's kind of a reminder that you can check all these boxes and you can like a team like the Blue Jackets. And then at the end of the day, you look up and it's 17 to three and you're like, oh my God, this Lightning team is just ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And, and exactly right. I mean, it, the, the, the expression I always use is like, if you can shrink the game. Yeah. against Tampa, right? So, like, make it tighter, so that's five-on-five five flight, eliminate the power play, as you mentioned, goaltending. You know, if you have a great checking line that can kind of neutralize 15, 18 minutes of the game and, you know, just get the game tighter to add the the element of luck or variance or whatever you want to call it because if you don't, the more talented team is going to win, and the more talented team is clearly Tampa. Um, you know, Seth Jones is, is an excellent player, um, you know, actually, surprisingly, Ryan Murray, who, who's had so many different injuries, um, you know, I think his kind of stability would have been nice uh, to be able to have mm-hmm. if you're if you're Columbus. But um, I just I say all that, and, and like, Tampa looks so good uh, at that time. You know, better than we're used to seeing teams look. They they just they 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 can just play with pace and make uh plays. The one thing I love about them when you watch them, you would really appreciate this. You dive into all these different numbers all the time. Like their refusal to dump the puck in mm-hmm. is just 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 a pleasure to watch. It's like, yes, isn't that nice? Don't give it away to go chase it. Now they have the skill to kind of make those plays. They also have the freedom to be creative and, and try it. And and John Cooper doesn't rein them in too much by fearing what might happen if it goes poorly. But they rarely dump it in. And, and I don't know if the numbers bear this out, but it feels like they work the width. Like, they pass the puck laterally through the offensive zone better than any team in the league, through their four lines. Like, it's, it's corner to corner, it's board to board, it's across the slot lines making the goaltenders move, and you can kind of understand with the talent that they have and the approach that they bring why they can score so many goals because they put so much pressure on the defense all the time Um, with their way that they kind of probe the offensive zone laterally, which I think more so than kind of you know vertically up Mm -hmm. and down. It's kind of going side to side, and it's hard to cover. It's it's just hard to cover for defenses, uh, as we've seen all year long. So um, when you have the best offense, the best power play, the best penalty kill, the reigning Norris trophy winner, if we're assuming Victor Hedman is healthy, they have the guy who's probably going to win the Vezina. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what else are you supposed to do? Um, you have the Hart Trophy winner. You got Sam Coast who's, you know, had a pretty good season of his own. Braden Point uh, might be the best of all these pending RFA players. Yeah, they're, they're just a great team. And as gutsy as I think Columbus will play them, like I don't think Columbus will roll over and kind of make it easy. I think the games will be hard and physical and they'll try to maybe slow it down and bring it down to the gutter a little bit. I just think five game uh i just think cabbage just the talent is just just too high
0: now nah, you're right i think that's a that's a really great observation it kind of reminds me of i think that sharks team that made the cup final a couple of years ago and ultimately lost to um lost to the penguins did a great job of of that very thing of like kind of like just like stretching out the ice surface and sort mm. of um creating a ton of like space and and opportunities to probe the defense just based on their willingness to kind of pass it east west and really explore all the areas of the ice and with this lightning team, I mean Kucherov is sort of the driving force for everything, but particularly in the sense of like he just holds on to the puck for that extra half second and never gets rid of it unless he really has to. And that opens up so much uh for this team to really uh utilize and, and attack with and yeah, they're they're a blast to watch. It's it's kind of a raw deal, I guess. If they had done better in the regular season maybe they would have had an easier opponent but I do feel like I really like this Blue Jackets team so I don't want this preview to come off as us just talking 10 minutes about the Lightning and why they're gonna win everything like I, I think if this Blue Jackets team was playing the Capitals potentially in round one I could definitely talk myself yeah. into win- them winning a series and finally getting over yep. the hump and so that kind of sucks just because I do really appreciate them sort of bucking the conservative nature of the NHL and going forward at the deadline and trying to win and they're not going to be rewarded for it, I don't think. And they're going to lose again in round one. And so I hope that doesn't uh, dissuade teams from doing so similarly in the future. But yeah, it's, it's going to be... I think it's going to be a fun series to watch. And I think with this Lightning team, I know last year, Braden Point kind of captured everyone's attention and really jumped into the mainstream. And I don't think this guy has the... Um, you know the 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 ceiling or the height in in terms of skill but i think a guy like anthony sorelli is his stock is really going to rise in kind of casual fan nhl circles you're going to hear a lot of conversations of people going like can you believe how good this guy is the lightning found another guy and it's like yeah he's been doing it all year like you know, if he was a bigger name and maybe scored a bit more, people would be talking about him in the Selkie conversation. But he's just such a good defensive center. And, and so I feel like he's a guy to watch as this postseason uh, carries along as kind of an unsung hero. But there's so many players to choose from with the Lightning. Is that
1: fair, though? Is that fair you're talking about their third-line rookie center? And you're not wrong. Like, this team who's got stacked up top um, uh, star power. But, like, you know, you'll watch Matthew Joseph rip down the ice yep. one time. You're like... How do they get this rocket booster? Like, where this guy come from? How come they keep finding players like this, and, and other teams don't? And Sorelli's another one of those guys because he plays with a bit a bit of an edge to his mm-hmm. game as well. Um, you know, he came just short, nineteen goals, but uh you know he kills penalties and all that. He's yeah, he's just another guy that they have that they can plug in there um, to to kind of complement the high end stars. Yeah, you, you might be. Uh, you watch Tampa to see Kucherov and Samkos and Point and all those guys. Yep. Also, you come away going, Sorelli, Joseph, Yanni, Gord are like third and fourth liners on their team. And they're difference makers. Um, that would be a play way higher on a different roster. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he's the guy to watch as well
0: um well and the scary thing for the scary thing for opposing teams is generally with a team like this you'd be like okay they're so stacked like they're really going for it this year and then if they don't break through hopefully they're going <laughs> to become decimated <laughs> next year and it's like all right they're going to lose guys like probably tyler johnson be a trade and anton strawman's going to walk and so on and so forth and it's like all right well we're just going to bump up matthew joseph anthony sorelli we're going to bump up eric chernak mikhail sergachev and it's like oh my god like yeah. these guys might be better than the guys they are replacing like so it's uh yeah. it's pretty scary if you're an opposing team um Let's they're
1: gonna they're gonna to have to trade Tyler Johnson, and they're gonna include uh, Ryan Gallahan in yeah. that deal. And also, they'll have ten million dollars to round out a God. ridiculous roster again.
0: Yeah, I don't want to, and I don't want to. We're already seeing this kind of pushback um, to people. I guess when everyone becomes so popular, or such a talking point, there needs to be this sort of like, yeah, but where people go like, oh, well, the tax implications in Florida and goals are up across the league. Of course, Kucherov has one hundred twenty eight points. It's like all of this stuff applies to other teams as well. They're not the only team with tax savings yeah. based on the state they play in they're not the only team that's playing in this new landscape in the nhl they're just doing it better than everyone else and so i think we should just kind of appreciate that um mike give me a give me a pick what do you how many games do you uh, think the blue I, jackets can take here i think
1: tampa i i can't ever pick sweeps i mean it's just it's just too hard to do and i got a lot of respect for columbus they're a good team uh i'd say five games though they'll just wear them out and the march will continue tampa in five
0: i agree i mean the devils took a game off of uh off the lightning last year so it's, yeah. That's how it generally works in these playoff series. All right, I think we saved potentially the best for last, or definitely kind of the, the, the series that's going to get talked about the most, and that's Bruins-Leafs. And here's my question for you. Why is this year different for the Leafs?
1: Uh, okay, well, I think the first thing you need to say, I would say, is it doesn't have to be much different. And I think last year they got to Game 7. So we're not asking for them to completely revamp how they performed against Boston last year. I know Game 7 was just a terrible game and Jake Gardner and Freddie Anderson and all that, but you're only asking them to win one more game. So how is it different? It's different in a few in a few ways to me. One, the most obvious, John Tavares has showed up on the scene and we'll dig into how good he has been, how great he has been. But I think the reason why Toronto lost that series is they had, they had no answer to Patrice Bergeron and that line and Bergeron dominated the matchups and played against Austin Matthews a fair bit. If I'm Boston, I probably am going to have to match him against Tavares. Mm-hmm. So that one-two punch, one-two-three with Kadri, who was also suspended during the playoffs last year. So you, now you have Tavares, now you have a Kadri presumably, the entire series, and you have Austin Matthews not having to play against Bergeron yeah. all the time, whether at home or on the own. And so I think... Well, Tavares will be a difference maker, what he does. I think the fact that Austin Matthews has the potential to light up a series with a more f- a friendlier matchup than what Patrice Bergeron is for everyone is um, very, very different um, to me. So uh, I think those things, and then the growth of some of the young guys. I mean, I think, you know, Capitan's a better player. I think was around, but, you know, he's become a better player. Um, you know, Marner's taken you know, even perhaps better than than they thought. Um, so I think the growth of some of those young players, when Mike Babcock referenced it, I think those are all positives for a team that was in game seven against Boston this year. Now, I know it hasn't been great down the stretch for Toronto. I think Jake Gardner, Travis Dermott being out, um, trying to figure out how to play Jake Muzzin and what role and how that works, even though, you look at his underlying numbers, and I, I think he's done kind of what he's supposed to do. He's got in there. Shot shares are decidedly in his favor. Mm-hmm. They Don't plan their own end as much. They got the puck, and it goes up. It's not as pretty, perhaps, maybe a bit different, but on totality, he's kind of doing what he's supposed to do and what he has always done. Um, you know, if Gardner and Dermot are healthy and sharp enough, having just played a couple of games at the end of the year, then Toronto absolutely has a chance with some of the changes that have occurred since last year.
0: I agree. I think if you're the Bruins, um, you know, you just... Bergeron's line will need to focus on on Tavares and Marner. I mean, you're talking about two guys who led the league in 5-on-5 goals and 5-on-5 primary points, and just based on the work they did this year in the regular season, that seems like their de facto uh, top-scoring line that you need to worry about if you're an opponent, and That's. I mean, this is ultimately why the Leafs went out and brought in John Tavares. Like, obviously, it's a no-brainer when a great player wants to come to your team. But it was with this exact scenario in mind, knowing that you're gonna run into playoff opponents that have either a a dominant top line or even potentially a couple top lines if you're playing a team like Washington or Pittsburgh, and you're gonna need those at least number one, two centers that can kind of help each other out so the other team can't focus on them. And I'm always kind of like cognizant of like is sometimes especially online it can get so vitriolic and people can blow stuff out of proportion and i don't want to slander a guy like austin matthews after four or five games four or five playoff games at his age because i think he's a great player and this stuff happens but he certainly needs to be better uh for this leafs team yeah. to reach its potential i think that's fair to say and i think he will be uh with that extra space that's opened up for him in minutes against creche's line and and charlie Coyle and so on and so forth so that's obviously a huge uh x factor here and i think also. You know, it flew under the radar a bit because the the talking point was the Freddie Anderson struggles and the defensive struggles and all the goals against they were conceding. But as the year went along, especially down the stretch, the Leafs did really, you know, elevate their 5-on-5 play and it looks like they're trending in the right direction. So if they tighten that up a little bit and Freddie Anderson gets back to his early season uh, standard, which we should expect from him considering he's one of the most consistent goalies in the league, uh, there's certainly enough there to at least kind of give them a chance to outscore all of those potential concerns they have and that's what makes it such a fascinating series in the sense that the Bruins have been so great and they have so many terrific players and at the same time uh you know this Leafs team has so much firepower that I don't think anyone can in good confidence say oh they're gonna lose in five games they're gonna lose in six games as a no-brainer just because all of that talent there does at least need to give you some pause about if everything clicks what they're capable of
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I can't remember where I saw it, but you know, that expected goal chart that kind of chrono, you know, charted the leaf season where it it started way up and then kind of, you know, November, December, it really drifted down, hovered around 50 50. And then over the last year, right, six weeks, it's it's gone way up again. Now, I know Freddie Anderson's had a bit of a a blip in his play, but uh, there's no reason to think that he wouldn't be excellent because he has been for the better part of three, four years now. Uh, And that's what makes Toronto scary, because the idea that the playoffs, you're not supposed to be able to outscore some of your issues. Mm -hmm. And Toronto, especially five on five, is a team that can outscore some issues or outscore performances by their opposition. You can have other teams play really well, and yet uh, Toronto, with the depth of their talent, uh, can can make up for that. So, yeah, the idea that they're going to get steamrolled, I find unlikely. I still think Boston's probably the favorite. They are at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, to, to me, that Bergeron line is such a it's such a factor. And it's such a dominant factor. And I think it'll be interesting to see how well Tavares, Marner, Hyman do up against them. If, I kind of think both coaches will almost take that matchup at this point. Um, you know, maybe Babcock tries to get Kadri out there a little bit against him. But mm-hmm. I think, generally speaking, he won't get away from that matchup. He won't, he won't run from it. And I think Boston will probably seek it out. And just how well Tavares can do defensively. Forget about trying to create his own way, but um, you're talking about Brad Marchand, Hunter Points, and Pasternak, and Bergeron, both with career years despite missing some time. Um, you know how good can they be defensively? Because it was really Bergeron's line that, that lit him up last year. So uh, that that to me will be I'll be curious to see. And then. David Krejci, we don't talk a lot about, Mm -hmm. and I thought he didn't have a great season. He didn't love his rotating cast of characters on his wing. I think he tried like 13 or 14 different wingers this Mm -hmm. year over the course of the season. But in the playoffs historically, and if you watch them down the stretch, he's been really good. And, you know, if you want to talk about Austin Matthews being freed up to be an X-Factor... Well, maybe David Krejci is that same guy for Boston, and and maybe that's the series. Like, maybe whoever wins that uh, matchup, because they'll probably play against against each other a little bit as well. Whoever has a better series, a more impactful series between Matthews and Krejci, uh, maybe that team. Maybe that's enough to to put that team over the top because Boston doesn't give up much. They don't, you know, they're they're, the chances they give up are are not great. You're not going to you're going to have to work to break them down their system their structure. Uh, Toronto could do that. Uh, but they probably won't get the same volume that they're used to, so this one should be—it should be tight, it should be great. I'm—I'm I'm fascinated to watch it. I'm not as big a believer. I don't know if you are. You know, this—this whole—the this, skeletons and the scar no, tissue from no. last year. Like, yes, Jake Gardner had a miserable night, and so did Freddie Anderson. But if you think they're sitting around, heading into this series, thinking, "Oh my God, I—I I can't believe I have to play against Boston. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of what might happen." <laughs> It's not, not the case.
0: Yeah, they're Just pros. not
1: the case. That, yeah. That's not how people think. Now, you know, if they have a bad game in game one, then yeah, like their mind might drift back there, but the likelihood of them having a game as bad as they did is almost zero. So, um, and the idea also that Boston will somehow out-grit or out-physical Toronto, mm. I don't even know what that means. Like, if you look at Boston, the players that will beat you, it's not going to be, like, I know Chris Wagner or Achari or Corral, like, it's not going to be those guys that are going to be the, the difference in the series. The difference in the series will be DeBrusque and Krejci and Bergeron and, and Krug and McAvoy. And those guys, well, they're the same level of physical as Toronto's good players. Like, you have to be physical to get the puck. You have to be physical to create chances. But I, I don't think this idea that Toronto is going to get pushed around by Boston is factually accurate. And I don't think Toronto spends one second worrying about it they had that one game in the middle of the year where Toronto was reacting to Austin Matthews, I think, getting cross-checked by Cronwall against Detroit, where they went in there and kind of tried to act like they want to be tough because they, are, they could be.
0: Mm. And
1: it was against Boston, and Boston might be better at that them than, than, than Toronto. They won't do that now. It's the playoffs. They don't care about that. And so I, I think that, that storyline to me, and we'll probably see a lot of it during the broadcast, look at them pushing and shoving, or look <laughs> at this hit. I, I don't think it matters at all. I think it's just the skilled players. Who's gonna play better and who's gonna execute better?
0: Yeah. Look at look at that hit, look at that lick. Classic, uh, classic Bruins, uh, yeah, Leafs playoff right. stuff. No, you're right. I mean, that psychoanalysis—that's the problem with it. Where you could really, based on your agenda, spin it either way. Like, of course, there's the element of, especially if they start out slow, you could kind of like, oh, here we go again. But then you could also be like, you know, oh, well, the, the Leafs, you know, know what it takes now, and they can—they're they, going to be extra motivated <laughs> to make sure that doesn't happen again right. because it left a sour taste in their mouth. Like, it's, yeah, it's, they it's, learn
1: from last year, and they'll take the hit to make the playoff. Nah, what are they talking about? Well, what are you talking that's about? The I mean, of,
0: that's the beauty of the game. That's the beauty of analysis. Based on anything that happens, you go into it with a preset agenda, and then you just spin it to to fit what you want. I mean, it's great. That's uh, that's the key to media.
1: Okay, well, I remember that from doing my first-round playoff series, and <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Um, i got to get an agenda. That's my problem.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think Debrusque is the key here. I mean, last year, he was so great in that postseason series against the Leafs, and yeah. it's always comes down with his Bruins team to secondary scoring and who can chip in, and mm-hmm. Raychie and Debrusque going to be there. Um, all right, MJ. That's 10 minutes. Uh, give me your pick. Yeah.
1: This one's going seven. The mm. distance. And uh, this one's hard. This one's hard. I, I'm not even sure. Game seven in Boston, once again, I think Boston scrapes by.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Think Boston scrapes by. My prediction is that uh, Yaroslav Halak is in net for that game seven, though. You heard to hear first. Um, all right. Uh, give me a... Uh, bold. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, MJ, give me a... Uh, what series are you doing?
1: I am going to be San Jose Vegas uh, with NBC to do the first round, which is awesome. Like, what a great series. It could go a million different ways. So I'm uh, looking forward to it taking off on Tuesday, first game Wednesday night in San Jose.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm excited extra extra now to uh, to watch it with you on the call. And, uh, yeah, sorry for taking so long to get you back on the podcast. And hopefully, as that series progresses, maybe we'll, uh, we'll check back in with you for a deep dive on how that's going. Because I think that's the series also that could go the distance.
1: Anytime you know where to find me, I'm at your beck and call.
0: All right. Chat then, MJ. The Hockey cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash